This sermon is brought to you by Shofar East London. Together, living out the fullness of Christ. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning, everybody. The men are having a glorious time at Morgan Bay. Or some, some men. The men who are here this morning, you're most welcome. <laughs> so this church isn't run by women. <laughs> if you're visiting, there are men coming to this church, more men than today. They're just having a, a men's weekend at Morgan Bay. And your God is doing beautiful things. It's really special. So it's my honor this morning to share a word with you. I really believe it will be applicable to both both uh, male and female. So it, I won't only be speaking to the ladies, even though some examples might maybe be more a little bit more applicable to the ladies. But, you know, God, um, God has blessed me with a son. His name's Vian. He's now grade six. And about two years ago, I entered into a new territory as a parent called exams. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever been there. <laughs> maybe you've been there as a child, and maybe you honor as a parent. Maybe it will, it will still come. But grade four was relatively easy for us. Not easy in the sense of uh, the, the, the adjustment was big. But the end result was beautiful, and Vian actually did very well in grade four. But now grade five was the problem. So this year lost, uh, this time last year, I found myself feeling very anxious, very stressed, very, uh, very burdened about about school and exams because I all of a sudden felt tremendous pressure to repeat what happened in grade four. And I felt it all rested on my shoulders. And the more I was trying to control the situation, the more I felt anxious and the more, the more I felt burdened and the more I really felt that, you know, I'm not enjoying this anymore. And as I say, the more I was trying to control, the less I was getting it right because Vian is a boy. He's not like me. He wants to play, he wants to make jokes, he wants to enjoy life. He reminds me all the time that he doesn't like school, just for in case maybe I think he does. And, <laughs> and I could just see that this can actually affect my relationship with my son in a bad way if I do not learn to let go. So I want to continue this morning with something Andre started a couple of weeks ago. Andre's been speaking about faith, next level faith. It, it's been a few amazing Sundays. If you've missed these sermons, please do yourself a favor and download it and listen to it. But I'm going to continue with a the theme of trust and faith this morning just from a little bit of a different angle. Because we all struggle to let go and let God. Okay? In, in some ways, maybe some of us are better. But I find that no matter whether you have got no control issues, in your opinion, or whether you are the first one to, to say, oh, that's me, you know, I'm the control freak, no matter in which category you fall, I think we would all agree that, that trying to control a situation or a, or a person, it's not effective. It's ineffective, it's exhausting, it, it really doesn't work. 
that well, even though we all try, and even though there is there is things in life like responsibility, and there there are things like you know taking certain things seriously. I mean, life isn't just a party. However, the moment we allow our, either our personality or the way we do life to steal our peace, or to to, to affect our relationships in a bad way, we need to relook at our approach. Amen? And I last year came to a point where I said, I need to relook my parenting approach when it comes to exams because this is not working. Not for me, not for my son. And I said to God, I need help. I need help. I didn't thought I would find myself in this situation ever, but I do now, and I've, I, I need your help. So, it was, a, it was a very good thing in my life to actually evaluate, to take stock, and to say, okay, I need to reconsider my approach. So I want to I give you a few reasons. You know, I really put some thought into it, and I thought, why would I want to control a situation? Why, do I, why would I struggle to let go? What could be the reason? So maybe you relate to all of them. Maybe you relate to none. But I'm just going to give you a few reasons, because we don't just control to control. We actually control to get a certain result. And we, we, the result mostly is, uh, is something positive that we hope for, or it's a, it's a really good intention. It's not the, the end result normally is because of a good desire or a positive desire. So... There's my, my fear reasons. We have a great need for peace and intimacy. So we, we actually control people or our environment to gain peace and intimacy. That could be one of the reasons. So it's a good, it's a good goal. Peace and intimacy are beautiful. Or we could possibly be afraid to be hurt or disappointed. You know, so now you control. Please, my husband shouldn't forget our anniversary, you know, because I'm going to be super disappointed. So now you control the situation to make sure that he doesn't forget, okay? Or your child cannot fail his exam. You know, it's going to be, you go, it's, it's going to be so disappointing, so I need to make sure that he passes. So there's a good intention. We feel vulnerable or fearful or anxious when we let go. We feel completely out of control. And we want to avoid those emotions. So we, we control to not feel vulnerable, not feel out of control, and not feel anxious. Also good intentions. This one, which is very much applicable to my life, we feel responsible to get a certain result. We feel responsible. We feel that it's your job to make sure that you know, things don't spiral out of control, you feel responsible. And if it does spiral out of control, you feel like a failure. You know, so last year, beginning, uh, beginning last year this time, I had the feeling that I'm going to be the failure if my son does not do well. So it all of a sudden became all about me. And God had to, had to show me that, you know, I need to deal with some things in my life. So we could feel responsible and we could possibly feel like a failure. So that's the worst nightmare, you know, for some people. So now we control the situation because we don't want to feel like a failure. And on top of it, we feel responsible. So I don't know if you relate to any of these. If you don't, I want to 
add another one, which is actually a whole topic on its own, but in Genesis 3, verse 16. So remember, it was, there, was, uh, there was the garden, and Adam and Eve, and they all lived happily ever after until Eve ate of the fruit in the garden that she was not supposed to eat of. It wasn't an apple, by the way. You know, many people think it, many people say she ate the apple, but the Bible doesn't say anything, but it, it was a fruit. So now she eats and she gives it to her husband and there were enormous consequences, right? Enormous consequences. The earth became cursed and there was also a curse on, on male and female. Now one part of the curse that was spoken over Eve because of this disobedience was the following. Genesis 3.16. It says, your desire shall be for your husband. Now, you can read up on this. There's a lot of opinions. There's a lot of theologians talking about this, looking into this word desire in the, in the um, original text. But many people agree that that word desire means that she would desire to dominate her husband, or she would desire to dominate situations or people. Very interesting. <laughs> Which means, even if you think you're not a controlling person, inherently, because of what happened originally in the garden, there's something in a woman that would want to dominate or control a situation. So maybe this makes sense to some of you because you would think, but I'm not necessarily a controlling personality, but why would I want to control this thing? Because there is something inherently in all of us that want to dominate and control. <laughs> whether it's people, whether it's a situation, whatever it might be, there's something that come right from right back when there was the first act of disobedience that put us in a position of wanting to dominate and control, which is very insightful because often we think, where does this come from? Where on earth does this come from? So I want to read you something. I'm busy reading this book called Control Girl. Very insightful. If you want to get this, it's written by Shannon Popkin. It's really good stuff. She shares a, a lot of examples from the Bible, from her own life. It is really good. So I want to I wanna read you something. It, she was doing a Bible study with, with ladies. And she shares the following. One morning in Bible study, I asked the ladies in my group to share a prayer request concerning a relational struggle. I figured we might hear about rebellious teens or brittle marriages, but instead, each and every woman shared about the hurt and stress created by an overly controlling mom or mother-in-law. I'm not going to talk about mom, uh, uh, moms and mother-in-laws this morning. I want to make it applicable to us. So, guys, just bear with me, okay? This is a little bit more applicable to the ladies, but if, if your wife is here this morning or your future wife, you're going to be very happy that she's listening to this this morning. <laughs> So now this lady's like, oh my goodness, we have now a problem. I expected a different answer. So now it's prayer time. Now she needs to handle this. So she says to them, okay, I want us to support each other by praying about these difficult women in our lives. But I'm wondering, how do we not become them? How do we ensure that 20 years from now, it won't be our daughters 
and our daughters-in-law sharing prayer requests about us. So this got my attention. I'm like, I am very uh, close to my son. We have a beautiful relationship. I'm very thankful for that. But I run a risk of being an overly controlling mother-in-law, and I don't ever want to get there. So I, I don't want to get there. I want my daughter-in-law to, I don't want to be a threat to my son's marriage. I'm, I'm being very uh, um, serious now, actually. I don't want to be a threat to my son's marriage, and I don't want my daughter-in-law to see my relationship with my son as a threat. Because surprise, surprise, this is a real issue. A very real issue that there's a lot of either controlling moms or mother-in-laws, and obviously there's a spectrum. Some are more controlling, some are less controlling, but I've spoken over, over the years, over the last, say, 20 years after I got married and being more uh, in regular conversations with married women, it's surprising how many people find themselves in this situation. And I realized that if I want to maintain my healthy relationship with my son, I need to let go. I cannot control. I cannot make him feel as if I need him, he needs me. I cannot, I cannot scheme and make sure that my son is going to never forget me, you know, because what if he forgets me? What if, he, what if his wife is so awesome and his mom becomes like this vague memory? <laughs> you know? And then, so, to, to, to get there one day, where I'm not going to be a controlling mom or mother-in-law, I tell Vianna already, Vian, one day when you get married, your wife is more important than I am. Okay, I've said it multiple times. I tell him, Vian, you, I need to believe it. <laughs> you need to believe it. I tell him, Vian, your wife is going to be more amazing than mommy. Vian, one day when you're married, this is how things are going to work. You're going to be your own, the head of your own home. You're going to run your own family. You are going to make your own decisions. You're going to be the man in the house, and your wife is going to be priority. You know, and I love teaching him the truth because I need to get this right. <laughs> I want to get this right. I don't want to get myself in a position where my poor uh, daughter-in-law is sitting in a Bible study and asking for prayer <laughs> about me. And, I mean, it sounds really funny, but this is what happens. And and I run a risk because I'm so connected to Vian, and I am, we are close, which is beautiful, but it can become a disaster one day. And I don't want to find myself there. So this is why I am talking about this. So how do we move from control to surrender? How do we do this? How do we move from control to surrender? The bad news is there's no quick solution. <laughs> It's, we, we can't just pray for you and deliver you from the, the curse of control. I know some of you want to just be delivered from the curse of control. <laughs> you, the bad news is it's not that simple. It's a muscle we need to build. It's a daily discipline. We need to, we need to surrender. We need to surrender again. We need to surrender again. Forever, for the rest of our lives. The good news, though, is we don't have to do this in our own strength. 
God gave us the Holy Spirit. He's our helper. He's our comforter. He's, he's the one to come alongside us. And he, da- he empowers us to do things we can't do in our own strength. That is the good news. Amen? So I'm going to take you through a very familiar scripture. I, I, I think all of you might know this. Proverbs 3, verse 6, 5 and 6, which is, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. So I'm going to unpack this scripture for you. We, if you don't know this off by heart, it's a great morning to learn this. When you walk out here, you're going to memorize. You're going to, this scripture is going to be memorized. So let's talk about trust first. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust. I don't know how many of you have heard this little joke about Johnny hanging from the cliff. And now he screams like, can somebody please help me? And then God answers and says, Johnny, just let go. I will catch you. And Johnny's like, is there anybody else who can help me? <laughs> because we, we often ask God to help, and then when he answers, we're like, we don't really like that answer. So is there maybe anybody else? Is there maybe any other solution? And I want to I wanna be very honest with you this morning. If we struggle to trust, our first step is to repent. To say, God, I, I repent. I repent because every time I ask you to help me and you come with a suggestion, I run the other way because I don't really like your suggestion. You know, or God, God gives you wisdom through people and then you just follow your own way in any case. You know, we often ask for help and then we look for a different solution. So our first step is repentance. If we want to be free from control, if we want to truly trust in the Lord, you know, I need to say, Lord, I'm sorry. I see something isn't right in my actions, in my thought patterns. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. That's your first step. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. There's this beautiful scripture in Job 42 verse 5 that I really love. It says, I have only heard about you before, but now I've seen you with my own eyes. So is Job saying he's been through an absolute nightmare of circumstances, but then he says, I have only heard about you before, but now I've seen you with my own eyes. This is so inspiring. And he didn't just come there by reading one scripture or going to church one Sunday, he, he got to that point through suffering, through actually circumstances that was devastating. But that is the only way to see God with our own eyes. If we don't only look to Him in good times, but also look to Him in bad times, in difficult times, we cannot trust in the pastor in fasting or in faith. Like Andre said, we can't have faith in faith. We must have faith in God. And the question is, do we really know God? Do we really know Him? Or do we know about Him? Do you know about God? Or have you seen Him with your own eyes? And the only way to get there is to engage with Him daily, to have a relationship, a a daily walk with the Lord. In, 
in connection with everything in your life, your finances, your family, your work, your dreams, your career, everything. You know, my, I don't know how many of you are watching movies, maybe all of you, <laughs> but my, I'm not big on movies, but my husband and my son loves, they love Marvel, okay? So I decided if you can't beat them, join them. So now I watch Marvel movies with, my, with the men in my life, and so for those of you into the Marvel series, you know, these, there are these characters, characters. Now, the one I like, maybe some of you like him as well, is Captain America, because he's the good guy. You know, he's the leader. He's the responsible one. He's the one who brings things together. He's the one who gives the pep talks. He is he's the hero, okay? The other guys are also heroes, but they're kind of a little bit below Captain America, in my opinion. But now, but now the interesting thing is, I really think I know this guy. Surely I know him. He solves the problems. He saves the people. He makes the right decisions. I know him, surely. Do I? Now, I, I read up, okay? Preparation for the sermon, now I read up. My husband laughs at me because he's like, what did you read up on? Movie characters. So now I read up on this guy, Chris Evans. It's his real name. And now he shares in the media, and I know the media can't always be trusted, but now he says he, sh he, uh, he recently opened up about his anxiety and depression during the 10 years of shooting these movies. I'm like, what? Captain America, no way. How can he struggle with depression and mental illness? Yes, he can, because I don't know him. I have no, no idea who Chris Evans is. I only know a character. I only know something that is not real. Now, my point, what I'm trying to make, do we really know God? So praise God in real life, God is the opposite, okay? God is, doesn't have mental issues or, you know, God is the strong one. That is the, that is the beauty of God in real life. He is beautiful, he's powerful, he's strong, he's the hero. But the question is, do I really know God? I don't know Captain America, I know nothing about him, I don't engage with him daily, I don't see what's happening behind the scenes. The only way I can really know him is if I do engage with him daily. The only way we're going to really see God with our own eyes and not only hear about him is if we walk a road with him daily. Not only coming to church and hearing about him, feeling the effect of God in our boat daily. And it's beautiful. So I'm asking you, if we say trust in the Lord, do you know what you trust in? Do you trust in a kind of a movie character that feels far away, that's like a distant figure? Or are you trusting in somebody who is real in your life right now? every day, every week, in every situation. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. I, I think there's a very good reason why it says trust in the Lord with all your heart. Because our heart moves. I don't know if you've ever <laughs> experienced that. Our heart moves from this thing to this thing to the next thing. And, you know, there's a scripture in Jeremiah that says, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes fleshy strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. 
So it means that our heart can actually move away from God. It can move to something else. Your heart can depart. And this person shall be like a shrub in the desert, shall not see when good comes. Very interesting scripture, which means that we could possibly miss good moments in our lives if our heart has moved away from God. There could be potentially a lot of good moments, beautiful moments, but we don't see them at all because our heart has moved away from God. Now, I want to share one story with you just to illustrate. When we moved from Cape Town to East London in 2008, I was pregnant, so I was going to take six months maternity leave. My company policy was that I would get my full salary when I go on maternity leave. However, I had to go back for one year to, uh, to, to work. I can't just feel during my maternity leave, oh, I want to be a full-time mom and resign. No, I had to go back, okay, if I wanted to get my, my money. So now I was in a, in a season of transition. I wasn't going to go back to my, my office where I worked for, for 10 years. I was going to be transferred to the, to the East London office. I've never worked for them before, but I, I am technically going to go back to my company, but not to the same office. So now they said, sorry, we can't give you any maternity uh, payment. We can't give you anything. And some of the managers in our office felt, this is so wrong. I've been working here for 10 years. I need to fight for this. I need to stand on my rights, and I need to demand that they give it to me. And I just felt that God said, let it go. Let it go, which I did. I don't think in any case it would have made any difference if I was fighting for it. But I decided to let it go, and then two things, two good things came from that. But I wonder if I would have seen it if I was in the space of, this is my right, they owe it to me, I'm going to fight for it. You know, trusting, like the scripture says, trusting in man. Curse is a man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. So the two things that came from this that God opened my eyes for is, first of all, the East London office actually did give me one month's salary, which wasn't expected. They did it out of their own goodwill. It was a massive blessing at that stage because I thought I'm going to get nothing. Plus, I resigned five months after I started working at the East London branch. Now, if they did pay me for six months, I would have had to stay at the office for at least 16 months because I only went back into a six-hour position. So I would have been committed for a much longer period than the five months. And that was a window for me, a window of opportunity to resign, something I was waiting for for like 10 years for the right opportunity. And the opportunity was there, and I had to take it right there and then. If I waited another year and a half, maybe Andre would have decided to rather appoint somebody else because he needed help at the church. So God opened my eyes for something really beautiful coming from a letting go situation. So the question is, if I, if I was demanding the money. If I was demanding that they pay me, because this is what the company policy says, if I was putting my trust in man, 
could it be that I would not have seen the beautiful things actually coming from the situation? Because God challenged me and he said, I want you to put, my trust, to put your trust in me. I want you to let it go. I don't want you to look to your company or to a policy for your provision. I want you to look to me. And there were beautiful outcomes, but the question is, maybe I would not have seen it. Maybe I would have been so uptight and so, yes, and it's wrong. Maybe I would have missed all the beautiful things that came from that. So trust in the Lord with all your heart. Because if our heart moves away, we will not see good when it comes. Okay, let's move on. Trust in the Lord. Okay, let's do the scripture together. Because remember, this is your memory verse for the day. Okay, so let's do this together. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Okay, you can stop there. Not on your own. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. So there's, there's an understanding when it comes to trust and faith that could be either your understanding, somebody else's understanding, or God's understanding. Now, a different way of saying this, we find in Romans 12 that says, do not be wise in your own opinion. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Why is this so important that we do not lean on our own understanding? The reason for that is we only see in part. Even if you have a clear, the clearest picture that you could have, you still only see in part. Because God is the only one who sees the future. He's the only one who can tie together past, present, and future. So even if you have all the facts on the table, you still only see in part. Which means there's an understanding that is our own understanding that is lacking wisdom. <laughs> because we need God. So about 14 years ago, um, Andre had this word, he sh shared about this before in church, but for some of you it might be a new story. He had a word that there's going to be an earthquake in Cape Town. Okay, there, there were several confirmations. I, I can understand that, you know, that he felt that this is a word from God. There were many, many, many com confirmations, but I didn't feel comfortable about this word, which I communicated with him, but he just felt in the light of all the confirmations He's going to go with that, not with my feeling of being uncomfortable. So my understanding said, this is going to be trouble. Yeah, because we, we had a mission team, and the whole mission team was built actually upon this word because we trusted the Lord for Cape Town, for the city to repent, you know, almost like a Jonah, Nineveh-like experience. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my goodness, I, I really think we're heading for you know, some disaster. And this, this is what my own understanding said. Now, the end result was the, there wasn't an earthquake. And the word was not God because, I mean, otherwise there would have been an earthquake. So now there were implications for Andre because he was a student pastor at that stage. There were certain implications for him in his position as a pastor. And that is what I was worried about. So my own understanding said, there's going to be implications. This word is not of God. You know? So my understanding said, stop him. Uh, he should, 
he should back off from this word. Get him to believe you. Do what it takes, but he must believe you. That's my own understanding. And then, like halfway through, I'm, I said to, I just felt God said, just support your husband. Just support him. Okay. Support him. I still didn't feel comfortable. The end result, the word wasn't of God. There were consequences. Now, God's understanding, okay, you heard my understanding. God's understanding was, Andre must go through this. Yes, the word isn't of God. However, Andre must go through this. Why? Because everything in our relationship changed after that in terms of the way he listened to me, of the way he would respond when I say I feel uncomfortable. Everything changed. Because up until that point, Andre's desire to please God and to be obedient to God was so strong that he would do anything when he feel God speaking because he doesn't want to be disobedient to the Lord. So even if I would feel uncomfortable, he would still not listen to me, not because of disrespect towards me, but because of his desire to be obedient to God. So now things have changed because he realized that he sees in parts as well. And he needs my insight, and God also speaks to me, and we are a team. But my understanding said, stop him. Protect him from making a mistake. Help him. You know, be there for him and help him see. God's understanding was, no, he must go through this. He must make this mistake. He must learn. And things are going to turn around for your good. Yes, there's going to be a bit of pain. But ultimately, beautiful fruit will come from the situation. Does this make sense to you? So my understanding was limited. My understanding was right, and this is what I want you to see. My understanding was correct, but it was limited. So even though I was right, the word wasn't from God, there was a reason for me being uncomfortable, he should have still gone through that. It was God used it powerfully to change something significantly inside of him where we became a team. And it's beautiful. So when it comes to our own understanding, it's always limited. This is why God says, do not lean on your own understanding. Do not only rely on your own understanding. Okay? So the last part of that scripture, let's just do this again together. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He shall direct your path. Okay, so let's talk about your ways. It links to your own understanding, but it's slightly different. So, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Your ways. Now, there's a scripture, we all know this one as well, Isaiah 55, for God says, he, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. So, if God says, we need to acknowledge Him in our ways. There's a very specific reason for that because all of us have a specific way of doing things, right? We do it our way because we feel it's the best way. Or we do it our way for a specific reason, but other people do things differently. And that causes a lot of tension and stress and, and anxiety because, you know, can't the whole world just be like me? 
You know, there would be so much peace. And now the whole world can't just be like you because it will be very boring, us all being the same. But people do things differently. You know, and you can just share a flat with somebody to discover that. Or you can just get married to discover that. Just share life with a person and realize that there are a million ways of doing the same thing. And every person is convinced that his or her way is the best. So... Letting go of our way and putting our trust in the Lord starts by humbling ourselves and acknowledge that our way is not always the best. Okay, before you stone me for that statement. Or if your way is the best, because certainly there, may be, there should be a better way, okay, between two people, maybe sometimes. If your way is the best, say your way is the best. It could cause a lot of tension in your relationships if you force your way on other people, even if your way is the best. So maybe your way is not the best. So we start there. We start by saying, maybe my way of doing things is not the only way it can be done. Maybe it's not the best. Maybe it's better, but maybe it's not the best. So then after that, after you've done that, you say, okay, but even if my way is the best, What do I choose? Do I choose my way? Or do I choose to let go of my way and I receive intimacy, peace, and joy in my relationships? I receive the heart of somebody. Where if we demand our way, we lose intimacy. We lose the heart of people we love the most. But if we let go of our way, I'm not saying you shouldn't do it that way. I'm saying let go of forcing your way on other people. Then we gain intimacy. We gain joy and we gain peace. So I want to take you to a story in the Bible, which is going to illustrate this powerfully. So you remember Abram and Sarah. They couldn't have children. God, God did a miracle and Isaac was born. Okay, Sarah was 90 years old. Abram was 100. It's the miracle baby. He grows up. Obviously, they want the best wife for him. Abram sends his servant to his family. He travels far, far, far away. Brings back this beautiful girl, Rebecca, who's now going to be married to Isaac. Okay, the perfect woman. Okay. She also battles to fall pregnant, which is interesting, but eventually she did fall pregnant with twins, Jacob and Esau. And even in a womb, there was this wrestling between the two. So eventually Esau was born first, theoretically. Jacob was born second, but Rebecca received a word, or they received a word, the parents, that the younger, the, the, the older is actually going to serve the younger. You can read up on that, Genesis 27. So now Isaac grows old. It's time for the blessing, for the firstborn blessing, which was a big thing in those days. There's only one blessing, and it goes to the firstborn. And if it's been spoken, it's been spoken. So now Isaac says, listen, I need to, I couldn't see properly anymore. And he said, it's time to give my blessing over, my, over the firstborn Esau. Now, also, information you need to know is Rebecca loved Jacob. Isaac loved Esau. They just related better. 
So there was already like a little bit of a division in the family because of that. Now Rebecca is like, no way. God said the older is going to serve the younger. There's no way in which my husband will speak a blessing over Esau because Jacob deserves the blessing. Now Jacob sends, uh, uh, Isaac sends his firstborn, he said, go hunt and make me my favorite food and come to me and I'm going to give you the blessing. Rebecca is like, no way. I'm going to make a plan. She speaks to Jacob. She says, I'm going to cook a meal that your, your dad loves, and you're going to put on Esau's clothes, and we're going to put like camels here or things like on your hands, and he won't recognize you. And Jacob's like, what? You know, sure, I don't think this is going to work. And then she says, I will, I will take the blame. She basically says, I can just read this to you quickly. But his mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go and get them for me. Now, the end result of this thing was Jacob goes in, pretend to be Esau. He gets the firstborn blessing. Isaac knows nothing because he can't see. He, he did like pick up wise Esau's voice sounding like Jacob, but he smells like him. So, so in any case, they deceived Isaac. The end result of Rebecca taking matters into her own hands, doing her own thing, is that Jacob had to flee from Esau because Esau was going to kill him. She never saw her favorite son again, ever. He had to flee to family. She died without seeing him again. How's that for a happy ending? Because you decided your favorite son will get the firstborn blessing and you will make it happen and you'll deceive and dishonor your husband to make it happen. Now, she was hoping for a happy ending, surely. She was like, no, God gave me this word that the, the older will serve the younger and I will make sure it happens. But ultimately, because she was leaning on her own understanding, she didn't acknowledge God in her ways. She was just doing her own thing. She lost intimacy with her favorite son because he, I mean, there was no WhatsApp in those days. There was no communication. I mean, it's scary to think about it. So I put myself in his shoes, like I'm scheming to, to get my favorite son the blessing, and now I never see him again. It's heartbreaking. Now, I also think what kind of relationship would have been between her and her husband after that. She was scheming. She was dishonoring him. She was deceiving him. Now, maybe she lost, you know, his trust as well. Maybe she lost her son and her husband in one moment of, I will do this my way. Now, the question is, how many things in our lives are there that is similar? We're like, I will make this happen, and I will do it my way. And I don't care, but this is right, and I will do it, and I'll fight for it, and I'll make sure it happens. Now, I'm not saying that is wrong. Sometimes justice needs to be prevailed. Sometimes God uses people powerfully to fight for the right things. The question is, are you acknowledging God in your way? And are you open for a different way? Or are you just following your own ideas and things that you think is important? So if we say acknowledge, do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways, now, I'm confused with this scripture as well. I need your help. 
<laughs> in all your ways, acknowledge him. So let's just talk about quickly, just as I'm ending, how, what, do we, what, what does it mean to acknowledge God? You know, when we, when we go back to the book of Esther, we all know that story as well. Esther had to go to the king to save a nation. She wasn't invited. She could have been killed. What did she do? Yes, she asked the whole nation to pray, but what else did she do? For three days. She fasted and she prayed with her servants. See, she didn't just like storm into the king's courts and say, here I am and save my nation and, you know, I'm your wife and you owe it to me. She, she spoke to the king of kings for three days. Then she went to her husband, which was also coincidentally a king. It could be any one of our husbands. It could be any one of our bosses. It could be any person that we need favor from. And when we acknowledge God before we speak to that person, what happens? Four beautiful outcomes. Well, there's a lot. I'm just going to give you four beautiful outcomes. Instead of reacting to a promise, we oh, reacting to a problem, we act in godliness. Because we've just spent time with God in prayer and even fasting if He leads you to do that. So instead of reacting, we act in godliness. You have peace, you have joy, you have confidence. You're not fighting, you, you act in godliness. Instead of leaning on your own understanding, we lean on God's wisdom. Instead of fighting in the flesh, standing on your rights, taking matters into your own hands, we fight in the spirit. How do we do that? We fight with prayer. We fight with prayer and allow God to fight for us in the natural. Instead of being filled with anxiety and fear, we're filled with peace and joy. This is what happens when we do not lean on our own understanding, when we acknowledge God in all our ways. Beautiful outcomes. And I've seen in my own life when this works and when this doesn't work. I've seen when I act in my own way, when I'm too quick and I'm too fast and I'm too eager to speak my words and to do my thing. And I've seen the opposite effect when I speak to the king of kings first before I speak to the person that I need favor from. So if we do not lean on our understanding, we acknowledge God, he will direct your path. It's beautiful. He will direct your path. And I'm not going to go into detail on that, but the word of God is our map. He will never speak contrary to his word. In the counsel of many, there is wisdom. And just one thing on that. You know, often we, we ask people's advice, and then we don't follow their advice. So I want to ask you today, if you do ask people's advice, why do you still do your own thing? Why did you ask them in the first place? If you were still going to do your own thing, okay? You need to make it applicable if it is applicable to you. But if 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 in the counsel of many there's wisdom and all the people around you say one thing and you listen to them, you ask their opinion, and then you just go and do whatever you think is right, this is not going to help you. <laughs> in the counsel of many there's wisdom. It's beautiful. I have so much respect for you if you do ask and not only lean on your own understanding. However, if you're still going to do your own thing, you might as well not ask. Okay, so if, um, if it's applicable to you, please ask the Lord to help you in this area, you know, to not be wise in your own opinion, but to listen. Okay, just in closing, 
if I say that the antidote for control is surrender or trust in God or letting go, how do we do that? I've given you a few examples, but I'm going to give you just a summary. How do we do that? Remember I said it's not a quick solution, but the, the good news is we have the Holy Spirit who will help us. Amen? First of all, like I said, we start with repenting. If you need to repent of scheming or manipulating or eavesdropping or playing God or fighting in the flesh or being divisive, being dishonest or taking matters into your own hands, this is where you start. It can be a small issue. It can be a small thing. Like the whole thing with Rebecca, you know, she was eavesdropping, she was playing God, she was fighting in the flesh, she was being divisive, dishonest and taking matters into her own hands. Maybe your situation is much smaller. But... We still need to repent. It's our first step. God, I'm sorry. I'm this, I'm, I've been dishonest because I feel out of control because I, I want intimacy and peace, so I actually wasn't completely honest. We start with repenting. Second thing, we humble ourselves and we walk in the light. We speak to somebody, say, listen, I'm battling. I'm battling with control. I'm, I'm, I feel so out of control with this situation, so I'm doing these things. To, to gain control and it's not working and I'm losing my peace and I'm, uh, this is not working. I'm losing my own peace and I'm losing the intimacy with a person that I actually so desire. We need to humble ourselves, walk in the light. We need to unburden ourselves daily because often we want to control because we feel burdens. We feel responsible. We feel... The world's weight on your shoulders, and if you do not take control, the whole thing is going to fall apart, which means we need to surrender control. We need to unburden ourselves. And if you need to do it daily, you need you do it daily. You know, some people say, but I battle with a Sonica. I give control, and then I take it back. And then I hand it over, and then I take it back. That's fine. Just hand it over again. Okay? It's not the end of the world. We all do that. We all surrender, you need to do that until you don't take it back anymore. And if you need to do this for the rest of your life, then you do this for the rest of your life. But don't get to a position where you, you've taken it back and you don't surrender again. You hand it over hourly if necessary, daily, weekly, monthly, until you feel there's a release in that area. Okay. Fourth one, stop with your own plans and ask for God's wisdom and guidance. Now, you can't just stop with your own plans and ask the Lord. You need to do what He tells you to do. So if God tells you to, to address the situation, because He might, He might tell you, you need to address this. You need to speak. You need to go to your boss. You need to go to your husband or your wife or your business partner. You need to address this. Then you ask God, Lord, how do I address this? How? Because there's our way and then there's God's way. So you ask him. We do it with respect. We do it with humility. We ask God for timing. Sometimes timing, it's all about timing. And I don't speak to your husband when he watches a rugby game. Bad timing. You know, just before the guy scores the try. Now you want to sort out an issue. Bad timing. 
okay? Or he gets home from work, he walks through the door. Like, can we, can we please go sit down in the lounge? I need to discuss something with you. Bad timing. Bad timing. Ask the Lord. Study your husband. Study your boss. Study the person you need to engage with and do it. The timing, your tone of voice, the way you do it is crucial. And then if God says, wait and do nothing, then you do nothing. No, I'm joking. You, you are going to do something. You're going to pray. If God says, wait, you're not going to address this. I'm fighting this battle on your behalf. What do you do? You pray. So it's not as if God just says, sit there and do nothing. You fight it in the spirit, which means you pray, you trust in God, and you see how he sorts something out on your behalf. So imagine a life surrendered to God. This is my desire. You know, every time I control something, every time I get anxious and I lose my peace because I look at something through my own understanding, I realize this is not, where, this is not the way I want to live for the rest of my life. It's freedom to let go. It is complete freedom, but it doesn't happen overnight. It's a journey. It's a process. It's a muscle we build. It's a muscle we build like going to the gym and you do this daily or weekly. You can't just go once every six months, okay, and lift that weight. You need to actually, you need to go and you need to go again. And this is the same thing with any spiritual discipline. It's a muscle that we build and that we train. We train ourselves. And the fitter we get in an in a, in a area, the easier it is to keep on running and to enjoy it. Nobody enjoys exercise when you're unfit. But if you, if you fit, it, it gets enjoyable. This whole thing becomes a victory when you get fit in this, when you get trained in the way that God wants you to do it. Amen. Thank you for listening. Find more on Shofar East London's podcast channel. Let's do life together.